in Love with the X, the podcast for anyone who has ever been to Exeter University. Stand by for your hosts, Alex Borchardt and first, Tony Hall. And episode five, The Boot, The Welly and The Badger. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is, welcome to Still in Love with the X. My name is Tony Horn. I'm in Lancashire, England, in Exeter, Devon, is my friend Alex Borchard. And today on the podcast, Pops and Grubs. Now, as ever... There are some loose ends from a previous episode or two. Firstly, Alex, in the episode entitled URE, you cited our dear friend Nick Thatcher and a reference to the Peking Memorial and uh, a gag which worked once and was reported to be repeated many times. Nicholas Thatcher has messaged me to say that he was our listener in Hungary, because I can (laughs) see the location stack he, he said it was not his joke <laughs> i'm sure it wasn't it's just i always heard it from him so the question is who originated it wasn't no, thinking of me when i went past he denied it so that's from a few episodes ago and last time around as we as we address the issue of pubs and grubs andy sinclair he, he made two really good points firstly that this podcast taps into stuff that is dormant and secondly he mentioned the turk's head i have not heard of the turk's head for a long time and then i thought i don't even know if i've ever been in there but my only knowledge of it was and as we progress it's increasingly apparent that university life is chinese whispers you probably can't even say that anymore it's rumors and myths and in the same way that the warehouse and boxes became legendary on a thursday night in my first year in fact i reckon i even read it in some guild propaganda don't go to the turk's head the marines go there you'll get beaten up is that the same guild propaganda that i read i think we all got it when we started that said don't wear trainers trainers are the sign of a sloppy mind and you know what? I didn't for about 20 years. I've only started wearing them recently. Trainers are the sign of a sloppy mind. Somebody, probably from the Conservative Association, do you ever wear trainers? I think you do. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, this, because, um, and as we do pubs and grubs, right, this should actually be a really easy episode to do. But there's no point us just listing every place we've ever been drunk. You know, we need to obviously tell a few stories. Um Part of that storytelling may well include the question, Alex, have I ever been in the Turk's head? So turning it back on a a co-conspirator, co-host here, because I don't know if I've been in the Turk's head, but I do remember that rumour. And as Andy said, if you go in there and don't behave like a student, then you're you're fine. No, I, it's very simple. I think in any university town, any city that has a university or a substantial college in it, you have pubs that are for the students and pubs that are for the townies. And there is not any pub that is more a townie pub than the Turk's Head. And that continues to this day. So if you lived in the first year on campus, which pretty much everybody did in our time, it's not the case now. If you're in Hope Hall, the local pub 
off campus would be the Vic on Vic Street. Because you have a better class from people at Duryard, your local was the Cowley Bridge, which was very much the Sloan pub, very classy, and remained so until about 20 years ago. Then it became quite rough, went downhill, did a mediocre carvery, and since the smoking ban and COVID has been pretty much shut. Alex, I've never been in there. I've never been in there. Proves you're not a Sloan. There you go. You went to grammar school, I think. But, but what about these hall bars? I mean, I'm trying to picture. So I'm in, where was I? <laughs> I was in Duryard. I was in Murray. Murray. Murray House. Yeah, Murray. Um, opposite Moberly. There was the Welly. Now, I Duryard, I do know this has been refurbished because I went there on a Sunday in the summer of 22 outside of term time and it's recognizable and unrecognizable and i have a feeling the welly was through two white doors behind the reception area but i don't know i never knew when it was open the thing that the thing that left me overjoyed was 65p a pint when i first went in there and probably I mean, last night I paid five pound for a pint. But if you go to, if you go to Burnley Football Club, which is relatively modest compared to Premier League prices, and I do go to Burnley Football Club, you're looking at just short of eight quid now for a pint. But sixty-five p a pint was just like, I mean, it was like your old co-op divvy or something. It was or your Green Shield stamps. I mean, it's does it's so small a sum of money that doesn't exist well tony let me update you on that because we were there 89 to 92 stroke 93 uh, 94 for some of our contemporaries some people have never left actually but in the meantime in the 35 years since then i remember visiting campus about 20 years ago and that was about the time that weatherspoons was really taking hold all over the country and was becoming ubiquitous and the place the students went was the imperial which in our day was a really nice hotel and a good venue for your typical hall ball or uh, society ball. It became a Weatherspoons, and the reason it became the most popular student pub in town was because it was a pound a pint. That was back in 2003. <laughs> Here we are in 2023, and I can tell you, because I was in the Ram a couple of weeks ago, it is $2.99 for a pint of Carlsberg, which I think compares fairly favourably with what Weatherspoons is now. Now, I like Carlsberg, but other beers are available, I have to say, but they're more than two ninety nine, unless you go on a Sunday, in which case most of them and the ciders are two ninety nine. So that is the going rate. The Welly, I think, is the only campus bar that I've never been in. Didn't go in then, haven't been in since. And when you say Duryard has been refurbished, pretty extensively refurbished, i.e. most of it has been demolished and rebuilt. I think the Welly is the only thing that's left. And, of course, in Burks, further up the road, you have the boot. Over my side of yeah. campus, we had the Badger. I didn't even find out it was called the Badger until a year later. Uh, my co-host back on University Radio Exeter, Mark Smith, whatever happened to him, he was the one who told me it was the Badger. And I wonder whether that's actually true. Maybe that's a legend that originated in his head. Because he but never went home, out. Because he never went out. Didn't even go to the bar. <laughs> never left his room. Uh, certainly never saw him in a bar in town, but bars in town, let me take you back to the Turk's Head, except I can't because 
I think I've been in there once, five years ago, for about 30 seconds, just to do a recce to see what the refurbishment was like. I hadn't even heard of the Turk's Head until my second term when I had a French roommate, Yannick Mangi from Campere in Brittany, who actually got very angry if you refer to him as French. I'm not French, I'm Breton. Big difference, of course, if you're from Brittany, Normandy. But he arrived in my second term. I think I mentioned in a previous episode, perhaps the first episode, that I had a roommate called Ian, chemistry mm-hmm. student, who I only ever had about two or three conversations with, and he abruptly disappeared at the end of the Michaelmas term, the Captain autumn term. Charisma. <laughs> Captain Charisma. In my second term, a Breton student arrived with his bagpipes. No, he didn't. It was the summer term. I've got to correct myself there. No, in the second term, I had a roommate from Puerto Rico, Alberto, still in touch with him. He's now one of the most prominent lawyers in Puerto Rico, which is the kind of country where you need very expensive lawyers if you want to survive the mafia or whatever they're called there. But in the summer term, I had Yannick from Campere in Brittany with his bagpipes. And he came back one evening very drunk and he said hello he said this evening i went to the duck aid i said i'm sorry what is the duck aid because of course french people can't and even from Brittany can't pronounce the letter h oh so you mean the turk's head (laughs) um why did you go in there because what i'd heard was that if you want to be beaten up, you'll be guaranteed to have your head kicked in if you go to the Turk's head. That's the only thing I knew about it. But he'd been in, had a jolly good time. I walked past it back then. I walked past it in the years since. And since I moved back to Exeter, I've continued to walk past. It is about the only pub on the high street in Exeter, but it remains not so rough now, but it remains a pub for the townies, not the students. There's plenty of other places for students, i.e. just about everywhere else. I think I should call this episode the welly, the boot, and the badges. I think if we look at pubs and grubs, places we drunk and places we ate, we should try and pick from our mind experiences that we had there. And also we should set it in some sort of context. So October 89, I am just 18. I'm July 71 birthday. And... I had been drinking <laughs> um, for some time, but actually, you know, I can remember A-level results night in Kingston-upon-Thames in Surrey. The, suddenly word went round. I don't even know how word went round, but there was going to be a meet-up in some pub, and again, I think three pints and you, you, you're done. But it wasn't regular. And nor was eating out. So eating out before I went to university was probably confined to, I think, two experiences. A Bernie Inn, which I still think was terrific for a birthday. Or when I had my year off and I I was working at Chessington World of Adventures, Chessington Zoo, to those of you who remember the good times, um, my mum used to meet me at the harvest for, well, I think it was really the, what you look at now and go, that's crap. 
But uh, you look at it then and go, wow, the all-you-can-eat salad bar, a million croutons with blue cheese sauce, I'll have a bit of that. So that's the context in which, on a catering level, I think I arrive at Exeter University, and on a drinking level, I had started to drink, but I can remember, actually, Mike Penny, who we mentioned in a previous episode, former station manager of the radio station, I said, what do you want to drink? And he said, I'll have a snake bite. What is that? I'm still not sure, but I think it's, it's lager and cider and maybe a bit of blackcurrant. I don't know, but, I, but Alex, you don't even need to answer because let's just leave it hanging. So look, we've done the welly where I drunk. We've done the boot, which I don't think I've ever drunk at. We've mentioned the badgers something, which I don't, if we're not even sure exists. Yeah, it's time to spread our wings. Can you remember the first time you were invited out to eat in Exeter? I think eating out was a regular experience. How we afforded it, I have no idea. I don't know what the prices were. But my old friend from school, John Dovey, with his new circle of friends, which was very impressive, very impressive, and I was keen to be part of, I think had a birthday party in the first term at Gino's? Gino's. Fantastic one, Bartholomew Street. Pass. I, Alex, I think that was the first time October 89, 18 years on the planet. I think it was the first time I'd ever ordered for myself in a restaurant. And I really didn't know, didn't know what to do. <laughs> I simply don't believe that you had never ordered in a restaurant on your own in a city where you don't know anybody until October 89. Now, when did I first go out? There was only one reason we went out for dinner in a restaurant, and that was because it was somebody's birthday. So the first time I went out, it was whoever had their birthday in October, November, 89. Probably oh, yeah. Claire, when it came to my birthday, which was at the Great Wall. More about that another time. Not there anymore. Excellent Chinese restaurant. Bought me a bottle of Cinzano. I've never forgotten that bottle of Cinzano. Do you remember we went through a Cinzano phase that lasted for about two years? I do remember this, yes. I do. Alex and I... Yeah bought bottles of Cinzano from the supermarket. <laughs> and I think we thought it was a cheap way to get pissed. It is. And my friend Claire from Hope Hall, who I'm still in touch with, she probably completely forgot the day after my birthday that she bought me this bottle of Cinzano. Has no idea. She started a legend that continues to this day. I think <laughs> it, was, it was two for one. Does that tell you where it was? Two for the price of one. Sounds on like an abalone. It, it was on the waterfront. <laughs> what on was all that about? I mean, it built. It, it's a marketing, isn't it? I mean, it was the. I must have been there so many times. It's so predictable. It's so dull. It's the same routine every time. But it's a winner. <laughs> but it's a winner when it's an original idea. Now <laughs> we've made a passing reference to mediocre chain pubs owned by the brewery, <laughs> and for me, there's nothing more depressing than driving past a pub that was clearly built about 10 years ago in the car park of a supermarket like Tesco. And there's just <laughs> one sign outside and it says two for the price of one. Now that's depressing because you know, if you go for dinner and there's three of you or five of you, you're going to get ripped off. And it is two for the price of one. Cheapest meal is free. So you go and order 
scampi and chips for 15.99 brilliant you can get an extra one for free <laughs> now on the waterfront it was an original idea and it had two innovations firstly was you know go with 10 students you only have to pay for for five of you but the dustbin lid pizza which until oh. then which something only existed in new jersey my experience of pizza was confined to the united states where they'd had dustbin lid pizzas for decades if you've ever seen et massive pizza takes up the whole dining room table but if you've ever seen ed on the off chance you know on the off chance <laughs> talk about dormant men memories i remember the dustbin lid pizza i've never heard it mentioned for 30 years thanks but i don't know i don't even need to know what it's about because it's just somewhere up there in let's just say the cloud i hate that <laughs> but yeah that's iconic. Whatever it was, it's iconic. You don't even need to tell me. It's iconic. Now, I'd say it's more of a kitchen bin because the, the, the huge pizza was 12 inches. Now, that is not a massive pizza. You know, again, if, if you're in New Jersey, a, a, a large family pizza is something like 28 inches across. But a 12-inch pizza, that's enough to, to whet the appetite of most students, I'd say. Uh, for most mortal beings, it's enough for two people. But, yeah, you either had snappy tomato pizza delivering to campus or you went for your two-for-one at On The Waterfront. Still get 10% off if you're a student or work for BT, which is in the building next door. So if you if you, you don't, you probably don't even need to show ID. Just tell me you work for BT or you're a mature student and you'll get your 10% off. in love with the ex i can see already that this episode uh, has to be revisited because alex and i here we're free for we're just talking as friends but i've a little post-it note of some stuff to mention but equally whilst i thought it was important to mention mike penny ordering a snake bite i'd forgotten about a dustbin lid and look Hold yourself, Alex. We we haven't even come to Greasy Joe's. <laughs> no, no, I can do a whole episode of that myself. There's there's so much about the food. Uh, it's like music in a way because a good song is a good song, but you a really good song you associate with a person, a time, a place. You know, he's a, a thing. Um, our numbers are quite small on the um, podcast charts but um one thing i would love to hear about was a place i used to go i think on a saturday morning i thought it was wonderful i don't even know what it was called but there was i'm terrible with street names as well at some point in my life at exeter there was a crepe restaurant on the right yes. hand side as you walk down uh, where that clock memorial thing is off I used to live down there. I think it's called Richmond Road or Richmond Terrace or something. And there's a chippy on the corner. You walk down into town before you get the main drag. There was a crepe restaurant there. What Can you remember that, Alex, or not? Yeah, on Queen Street. So first of all, um, the Clock Memorial thing. I can't believe you lived there for a whole year around the corner and didn't realize it's called The Clock Tower. There you go. Memorial thing. All right. So there guy. was a crepe restaurant. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you if you head from the centre of town 
and uh, we, we don't do advertising, but I'm going to mention again, Tesco mm-hmm. on the corner to get your bearings past the Rougemont Hotel, known for many years as the Thistle. <laughs> as you head towards the clock tower on your left, there are a couple of restaurants that have always been a cut above the rest. And for a long period of time, one of them was a creperie. I believe that's where it was. It's right. been many things since, but uh, it's not so, a creperie anymore. Yeah, I, I guess it was, don't know, a brief flirtation, but um, I loved it, certainly. And I think one of the things about this sort of retrospective anecdotal journey is the amount of stuff that you've forgotten, but also the stuff that's disappeared. And we will come to that either now or in the future. And let me just think here. Let's just talk about the rag. Yes. Well, so first year in halls, the Rams probably frequented a plenty second year and beyond if you live in Lafrauda you're more likely to be drawn to the U I was never a fan of living off campus because I thought that you although I did in my final year but I thought that you were missing out on stuff the only reason in the final year that I lived off campus was because I took a flat just around the corner from the radio station where I was working and I was working seven to midnight so I needed to be in bed at 10 past midnight and I was but the Ram, I mean, there should be so much to say about it, Alex, but but the Ram in our university years. Well, I'll tell you one thing I do remember, or two things, actually. Um, the jukebox. Yeah, yeah, the jukebox, you see. Yeah. So I think Freddie Mercury had gone on the Wogan show on BBC One, which was pretty iconic, and said, essentially, I'm going to die. And within days, Freddie was dead. And I do recall going into the Ram and putting Bohemian Rhapsody. So this would be about, I, th- I think this would be in 91, putting it on the jukebox and the place fell silent. However, I also recall <laughs> maybe the following year or a year later, putting Kirsty McCall and the Pogues, Fairy Tale of New York, on. <laughs> in about week three <laughs> and the guy turned the jukebox off. <laughs> um, but actually, if you yeah. think about where we're at now and the fact that as soon as term starts, Christmas starts, Black Friday and all that bullshit, a university term that would start on the 1st of October was, was running headlong into Christmas. We just didn't know it back then. The song was very young when we were at uni. It's, I think it's 87 that came out, so we're 89. And the 80s was a great era for Christmas hits, but now we are used to hearing them. As you move on from the Ram, no, I can't move on from the Ram. I've just had a memory come back to me, which is third year, French and Italian. Italian, an absolute waste of space of a course. I mean, really, a total waste of space. I have fond memories of it, but I do recall going in the Ram about 1 p.m. I think it was a Tuesday afternoon with Christian Vaughan, who I've been friends with at school, friends with at uni, now lives in Florida, um, a dear person in my life. And one of the things that you had to do in the Italian Renaissance art option, for goodness sake, was that everyone had to do a presentation at some point. 
And Christian and I just hated this option. And how can you hate Renaissance art? I suppose when you're 18, it's different. You're the toff. I'm not. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to be a toff to appreciate Botticelli. <laughs> we had about eight weeks to prepare for this, probably even maybe even a term and a half. I think at midday on the Tuesday, I reckon I went into the library, possibly for the first time. So this is my third year. I mean, I never went in the library. We'll do a whole episode on the library. And I, I don't know, sorted out some slides or something. Then Christian and I went to the RAM, had three pints, and at two o'clock we were up before the class to give our one-hour presentation, which lasted five minutes. And I think I put a slide up. And I began with the words, and I may have the names wrong here. Leon Alberta Batista was a bastard. What he was. Well, he was. Absolutely. And, and of course, yeah, putting a slide How up, do you even know no, that? You weren't no. on the course, you toff. <laughs> but he was a bastard. Where does the word come from? Putting a slide, of course, back in, in 91, 92 was, was a piece of acetate, wasn't it? It was an overhead projector slide, a piece of A4 plastic where you may have written on with felt-tip pen what you wanted to say. PowerPoint wasn't even dreamt of. Putting on a slide was hard work. The lecturer, who I feel should be called Lecturese, I can't remember her name, but she was, she was the authority on all this. Um, <laughs> she stood... Christian and myself down from the podium and said, you two are cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I love it. And I'm happy about it. And the Ram helped that on its way. Lafrauda, Alex, I mean, I'm in B105 in Lafrauda for five weeks. I go to Italy. So I go to Exeter for five weeks. Then I go to Italy for the year. B105 Lafrauda doesn't, well, does exist but it's not in the same place. So most of Lafrauda has been demolished. Yeah, most of Lafrauda has been demolished and replaced. A and B block have now been rebuilt en suite with lifts, I believe, fire extinguishers, the works, proper carpets and bathrooms that aren't horrific. The grey blocks of Lafrauda, I think J, K block, they're, they're still where they were, but A and B block have been upgraded i completely replaced a la Dariard, just like burks totally demolished and replaced the only thing left from the original burks is the boot and the reception area i've just made a note there alex phone calls because one of the we'll come to this i think um in episode 342 by which point we may have 84 listeners but the concept of taking a phone call at the bottom of your block. Yeah. And, yeah, funny. I feel that the U was often open. It was often open, of course, when there were those, I think, Thursday general meetings. But the most time I spent in the U was probably, this is crazy, Sunday nights into Monday. So on a Saturday night, I would have this experience where I would walk Everyone's out partying. I would walk across Exeter and go to the radio station, Devon Air at St. David's Hill. I'd, I'd walk across the graveyard and be on the air at 1 a.m. And I'll finish at 7. Horrendous shift. 25 quid. When the clocks changed, it was seven hours 
I mean, really, you wouldn't get away with it now, but radio made its own rules. After doing that show, I'd get up at midday and I'd go and play football for the Crack Shooters. I don't even know where that name came from. All I know is that, help me, Alex, Dominic, that lived with Emma. Yes, Dominic, who's very tall. Dominic Ogden. Oh, you star. Yes. Um, and Emma, who knew Gronya that I once dated, they did classics. Dominic seemed to be about eight foot tall, and Emma seemed to be about three foot six. But as anybody who lived on their their floor in, I think, um, M Block in Lafrauda could testify they had a very, very passionate relationship. I think that's as much as I'm going to say about it. And they spent most of their time in Dominic's room and they were very, very close. But I think because it was most university relationships were beginner's relationship. It was first love. Dominic and Emma, it, it was like a proper postgraduate relationship. This, this was, this was, you know, solid real love, not just, oh, somebody happened to be your you're a good friend you're going out with. University relationships, that's a whole episode, probably a whole yeah, series of we'll episodes in itself. That can be the catchphrase. We'll come to that. So John Watkins, who is a dear friend of ours, who I haven't, a dear friend that I haven't spoken to for 30 years. So possibly one of the most sensible people I knew. At a lovely guy. I think John Watkins was behind the crack shooters. So I'd come off the air at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'd either walk or get a cab which would amount to the, the the same amount of money that I was being paid to do the show, uh, back to Lafraudo. Um Heather, my then partner, gosh, I'm going through them, aren't I, would be up waiting for me, and I'd get up at midday and go and play for the crack shooters. I don't even know where the football was played. I remember where it was played. It was played in a field over the other side of town. You had to go past the Mount Radford pub to get there because we'd always go there on the way back. I mean, I didn't even play football at Exeter and I'd still go drinking with you lot, the crack shooters. So I had been a good goalkeeper, but I was half asleep when I played for the crack shooters with John Watkins and Dominic Ogden. But on a Sunday night, inevitably, I'd end up in the U, and I thought it was a healthy meal. I think it was 65p. I mean, I might be wrong, but I would always, without fail, on a Sunday night, go in the U and order two cheeseburgers, diminutive versions of the McDonald's favourite. And it was happy, though. It was, you know, it was a happy time, and you'd have a few pints and... You know, there, there's an old story in radio about how playlists came about. And if you're not familiar, playlists are essentially that radio stations will play the same 15 records every hour and a half. And the story is that there was a guy working in a bar and he put his tips into the jukebox at the end of the night and he put the same songs on with his tips that he'd heard all night. So the concept of a playlist and therefore heavy rotation of songs was born. And it's true because I would, I can recall going into the U and I would always put on the same songs. Um, if you said to me now, well, what are they? 
I know I would always put on the Rolling Stones, you can't get what you want. And I'm not a Rolling Stones fan, but I put it on. Couple of places left to go and a million places left to explore. You know, anyone listening to this might say, oh, you've not mentioned dot, dot, dot. So two places that are really significant, I think, outside of halls, the beer engine. Wow. Do you know what? And, And this is, Alex, this just sums up the legendary nature of all that stuff we talked about earlier, the myths and legends of campus. Because I reckon I only went there twice. And I did go there in the summer of 2022. All the COVID signs were still up. And I think I went about midday on a Sunday. I was just on a, I'd, I'd been seeing my mum in Taunton and I just went for a drive that carried on. And I'm at the beer engine. I've never seen it empty. I was the only person in there. But the thing that made me laugh was that it's dunk of beer. And, and <laughs> one of the things about the beer engine is it always stunk of the beer of the night before. Many pints got spilt that can be the only reason. And, of course, yeah. it has a unique location, still going strong, because it is opposite Newton St. Sires Station, which is well, the first train station you get to if you get the train to Barnstable. Newton St. Sires, it's about five minutes out of Exeter. It's probably about 30 pence a ticket by then. And we'd go there for the evening and then get the train back at about 20 past 11, just after the, the place shut. Perfect. There were two trains, I think, Alex, from Exeter yeah. to David, 7.30 and 9.30, and I think two back. I've never experienced anything like it. You literally walk off the train into the pub, and then you walk out of the pub onto the train. And back in 89, the first time I went, there was definitely a police escort back from the station to Doriard. Always bands on there. It was a night and a half, and I, I have nothing to say about it except that it was a night and a half. And, yeah, you're right, beer on the floor, stunk in the morning, and the train, it's an experience, isn't it, because of the train? It's beautiful countryside. One of the great things about Exeter is it is a lovely campus, and it is surrounding by green, uh, just the most wonderful rolling hills in any direction. And none better than heading west in the direction of Barnstable, Biddeford. And Newton Society before you head over to Crediton. It is just a lovely, very short train journey, which, of course, you didn't notice on the way back because it was pitch dark. But, yeah, waddling up the hill to Lafraud or Hope Hall from, from St. David's Station. I'm glad to say I did that a lot more than twice. Well, you've omitted one key detail there, Alex, and you'll have to pull you up on this and bollock you later, but of course. I can't possibly can't. All I remember <laughs> is, have you ever heard of a guy called Tom York who sings in a band called Radiohead? Probably one of the the most Never. influential rock stars of the 90s. He used to be the, the DJ Tom and the Lemmy on Saturdays, Club Tropical. Never heard of him. Rings for 90p. Anyway, Tom York, I re- remember reading an article in Q magazine they don't print that anymore but in the 80s in the 90s one of the most popular magazines was q it was by far probably sold more than all the other music magazines put together except enemy and he was asked about his time at exeter and only thing he said the only thing he said about exeter was how annoying he found it when students would move traffic cones from one place to another that's the way he rolls, Tommy York. 
I mean, he might have written Creep while in La Fraude, one of the, the greatest melancholic songs of all time. But yeah, all he has to say about Exeter really is traffic cones. And there's a darker side to the traffic cone story in that for time immemorial, certainly for the last 50 years, it has been a tradition at the end of the year for very drunken students to climb up the Buller Memorial. Do you know the Buller Memorial? There's a famous, famous army general uh, from a very grand family from Crediton who was one of the key players in the Boer War. And there's a, there's a memorial of him on a horse near the Imperial, between the Imperial and just near the clock tower, actually. And every year students will climb up when very drunk and place a traffic cone on his head. And tragically, two or three years ago, somebody had a fatal fall while doing that. But it hasn't stopped them doing it. You'll still find a traffic cone on his head every summer. Really annoys the police. Alex, that's a terrific insight there. And I think we we must address the Lemmy. We must address oh, yes. Radiohead, bands we saw at Exeter, traffic cones to be continued. And also, of course, we have touched on this, but, you know, the obituary column for Exeter University, and I can think of yeah. I can think of many many examples that will move people. Final word today. I still have a list on my post-it note of places that we've not even mentioned. But Alex, you know that the place that I adore most uh, was Mad Megs, and I have spent much time Googling and asking people about Mad Megs. I can remember the owner because I sold him radio advertising for £120 a term, 221-225. Remember that number. You won't forget your lunch. And I just thought Mad Megs was brilliant. It was probably <sighs> anti-woke. I mean, I think there were delicious barmaids walking around with white bibs on. Is it anti-woke? I mean, I suppose you could call it cultural appropriation. This is what we now describe, something that, that is, just isn't right. But you know what? The medieval wenches, because the, the theme of Mad Megs, yes. theme of Mad Megs, it was, it was essentially it was a 16th century banqueting hall. Mad Meg was not the owner. Mad Meg was apparently the chef to the, to the bishop or, or maybe the sheriff of Exeter back in something like 1532. And the, the, I think I'll use the word buxom, uh, serving ladies were very much a popular theme at Mad Megs. But you know, know what? Just five years ago, there was a, there was a bar that used to be the warehouse and boxes. It reinvented itself as something called the Beer Keller. Now that building has been through so many incarnations. Beer Keller is a phenomenon that has, has touched a lot of student towns in the country. There's, there's a really good one in Leicester that's still there. And it is a German-style drinking establishment, and it's brilliant. It is done pretty authentically. It's overdone a bit. It has the compulsory umpa band playing every Saturday afternoon. But they had waitresses that very much dressed in the style that the, that the serving... Uh, exclusively females wore yeah. back in Mount Megs. And you're and, right, and it, is, it, it did have a German feel more than a medieval with the benches and everything. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, yeah, and the underneath absolutely. nature of it, the Keller nature. And uh, you can still see the, the costumes that they, that they wore for sale for, I think, 
7.99 from all good fancy dress shops at this time of year people starting to dress up for halloween the the german bar german restaurant outfit is perhaps one of the best sellers <laughs> along with the donald trump face mask that you'll find in any of the many fancy dress You've shops tom's more on four street is, is a shop that's been there again for decades and they still sell pretty much the same as they did in the 80s cheap fancy dress and lego so mad megs i mean crikey i i think interestingly i think the first time i went there i was invited because i reckon because i was hanging out with Gronya, who was older than me i think i went with her friends and it became a mainstay and i think i took my mom there i, I certainly know that well i i recall fondly my 21st birthday because i'd gone to cornwall to st ives for a couple of days and I came back, and there was a note through my door from Mike Holloway, who was the program controller at Devonair. Mike was a plant from Capital Radio who had a major shareholding in the radio station, and he'd been sent down. And Mike's from Scotland, and Mike had put a note through my door saying, Tony, if you want to do a regular show, please call me. I've I gone to St. Ives for my 21st, and I lived literally a minute from the radio station. And I have been doing two overnight shows at the weekend. And there was a guy called Pete James, always an obvious sign in radio. If someone has two Christian names as their name, that's not their name. Pete James had been booted off. And look, you know, it's one of those things in radio that next man standing inherits. It doesn't matter if you're any good or not. If you can do it, if you can fill it, you're on. So I'm in St. Ives, and there's this note through my door. Do you want to do a show? And I can't recall, but I, I went to a pub that night to somebody's, don't know what it was, somebody's do. And the following night, I think it was my 21st, um, we were at Mad Meg's, and I the overnight show on Devon Air was midnight to six. And I said, well, look, it's my birthday. I'll do two to six, get someone to do midnight to two. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You just don't make up schedules like that. So you did the show on your birthday night, said, I'm not going to come for the first two hours, but I'll do the other four. Then you got paid £15 for that, I suppose. Uh, I mean, that's mad. Why don't you just take the night off? That that just shows your professionalism. It's commitment, I think. And I, I do recall, I, I, you know, if you said to me, who was at your 21st at Mad Meg's, I... I think you were there. I think you were there. The thing is, you know, when it's your birthday or whatever, I mean, there'd always be 20 people there for sure. I loved Mad Megs. You know, when you go to your favorite place, you can either experiment or you can go with what you know. I think I would always have a prawn cocktail and then I think it was half a chicken and a rack of ribs. Prawn cocktail, is that a particularly medieval dish? Of course, if you wanted to be adventurous, you went for the full ribs, which was called the horrendous rack of ribs. Oh. And you know that that's the last time I went to Mad Megs. I'll never cease to regret the fact that when I came back to live in Extra in 2003 and people regularly said to me, oh, we had a great business lunch the other day at Mad Megs, because, of course, this was 15, 10, 15 years after being a student. It was now not just a student favourite, but it was a good place for business lunches and also the kind of place you can take your mum when she's in town. So that's quite um, sweet you took her there. But of course, as we're older, how often do you prepare a meal with a starter, for goodness sake? But the thing, the thing that makes Mad Megs leap off the page and that old wench 
mythology was the drink. And I'm sure, Alex, they used to serve it to you in these wooden sort of what, what's the word for that? The, the, the goblets. Were, that's the word for that. Chalices. Oh, yeah. And if you drank a lot of it, then you'd find people would start using the word wench, which, of course, is totally inappropriate, but I'm sure they were used to it. That was part of the banter in the days when it was acceptable to say things like that to remember the serving stuff. So I think the first time you're at Mad Megs, they say to you, have you tried the, the Monk's Delight? And Monk's Delight is one of the most pleasurable things I've ever discovered in my life. And Alex and I rediscovered it through a site. You can Google it and find it. But if you went to Mad Megs, I think you would have tried the Monk's Delight. It's almost a mead-type drink. It's classed as a cider. I was told at the time it was only available at Mad Megs, and it was all I drank whenever I went there. It was just wonderful. And it fitted with that wooden goblet <laughs> wench it was a medieval banqueting experience and and you didn't have to be that drunk to to, to start questioning how authentic is this really <laughs> but it was just a great night out something that the the americans have have, have taken on there's, there's a there's a chain called medieval times in the states and it's brilliant you go for a medieval banquet and and it's a row of, uh, of, of tables, and in the middle is a, is a full-on jousting arena. <laughs> and if you've, ever, if you've ever seen the film The Cable Guy, uh, it, it has a scene at the medieval times in Orange County, California. Just brilliant. And it's full of drunk Americans. America, of course, celebrates its history by how many billions of cheeseburgers they've sold outside the McDonald's yeah. in the New York Lights. Abs you know. abs absolutely. But but you get these medieval serving wenches in California. Good day, fine gentlemen. Can I fetch you something from the barkeep? And it's it's cringeworthy, but it's a good night out. Well, there you go. We've still not mentioned so many places, you know, like the Mill on the X and the Double Locks. But love and respect to Greasy Joe's to come back to. The Beer Engine, Mad Megs, the Turk's Head, Geno's, and all of that stuff. So, as we always say, times of joy and times of sorrow, we'll always see it through. I don't care what comes tomorrow, we can face it together the way old friends do. For more on this podcast, head over to secretsofaghostwriter.com. Still in Love with the X is a horny media and publishing production.